the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time for Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Dr. Chen is the pastor at Grace Church of the Bay Area, a church committed to glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ through verse-by-verse expository preaching to learn exactly what God has revealed in His Word. Now, here's Dr. Chen with today's message. They say these days that we live in a divided country. The politics, specifically, of our nation have pulled us further apart, or so they say. Same nation, but different views. Diverse opinions, sometimes even polar opposites, but same nation. Though perhaps not as drastic, the same thing can happen in the local church. I say not as drastic because the core beliefs are generally the same, but in some ways perhaps it is more drastic than politics because, well, it's the church, God's people. How can there be disunity? How can there be division, grace, love, peace, and all that, right? In fact, if I were to ask for a show of hands, we are a church that is only eight years old. And so many, if not most of you, came from another church either eight years ago or more recently. If I were to ask you, uh, ask for a show of hands of how many of you have come from churches where there was division, where there was disunity, where there were factions, where there was perhaps even a church split, I think the number of hands that would go up would probably bring most of us to tears. It is commonplace today, especially here in America. And unfortunately, as it is in politics, so it is in many churches, and so it was in the church of Corinth. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Now I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. We have finished with Paul's greeting to the Corinthians, and now he gets into the first issue that he wants to address with the Corinthian church, and that is there is division in that local church. And though we may not be able to relate to the specifics of the disunity in ancient Corinth, we can learn both from their sin as well as Paul's rebuke. Ultimately, whatever form division takes, the underlying sins are the same. 
And aside from the sin, there is another commonality that modern-day division in the church has with what happened in Corinth. And that is this. Division within the church is extremely dangerous. And this morning and next week, we will be looking from this passage at five components of division in the church. We're only going to look at the first one this morning, and we'll look at the remaining next Sunday. But the first point is from verse 10, which is really the meat of the lesson, whereas the remaining verses 11 through 17 are more descriptive of Paul's experience and and what is specifically happening there in Corinth. And so I want to spend our entire time this morning looking at verse 10 and the first component of division in the church, which is the appeal, the appeal. Let me read for you again verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 1. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, though we're only going to cover our first point, the verse is so rich that I want to break it down to four subpoints. And so this morning we're looking at the appeal, but I want to give you four aspects of the appeal. And the first, letter A, if you will, the brotherhood of the appeal. Second aspect of the appeal, the basis of the appeal. Third point for this morning, the basics of the appeal. And the phrase that they used when they fired him after two years was, we are withdrawing the right hand of fellowship. It was a very difficult situation for him, and simply using a phrase that reminded him of a negative experience brought back a flood of emotions for him, And so he just assumed I was exactly like that Korean pastor. The problem was he could not separate his emotions and his experience from the truth or even his ignorance of what the truth may be about me or our church. And so it was easy for him to assume and jump to conclusions about me and all of us. In the same way, we can come here We love the preaching. We love the fellowship. We praise God for the church, as so many people have said. So thankful to have found a solid church here. And then I do one thing, or I say one phrase, or the worship team leads us in a particular song, or we put out a certain type of sign outside. And all of a sudden, the baby is thrown out with the bathwater because one little thing triggers a past frustration. And this leads to the first one we looked at, anger. Ultimately, the problem with this is that when you do that, you make your experience dictate what's right or wrong. In other words, you become the authority rather than God. You know, this jumping to conclusions because of, or the frustrations because of personal experiences This is how most liberal and damning theology is created and how it starts. Frustrated because of personal experience. It's not about what the word says. It's because those people who believe this did this to me when I came out of the closet or when I did whatever. In fact, frustration from personal experience is how a lot of racism begins for that matter. And for the church, it makes you the determiner of truth rather than God. 
Would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8? For the men that I disciple, you know that I've probably made you memorize this verse. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Paul writes, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Not things that aren't true, like your assumptions. This, by the way, if you struggle with worry or anxiety, most of the things you're worried about are not true. What if, what if, what if? Go to this verse. Think about what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is revealed in God's word, what you know for a fact to be true. This guards us against assumptions because the very definition of an assumption, according to dictionary.com, is taking something for granted without proof. Believing something without proof. And so we go to this verse and we remember, no, that's not true. That's not right. I don't know. I don't have any proof of that. And even if you do and it's something bad, it's something gossipy, it's something negative, Philippians 4.8 still tells you don't dwell on those things because it's not honorable. It's not lovely. It's not of good repute. Think on the things of God. Think on the things that are worthy of your blood-bought intellect and time. And this segues us into the third indicator that you may be moving toward causing division, and that's just pride. Pride. If you're still in Philippians, turn back to chapter 2 and verses 3 through 7. As many of you know, one of my, if not the favorite passage in Scripture of mine, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 7. It says, whenever you want, do some things. No, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. The moment you start putting yourself first, you need to pump the brakes. You need to stop. The moment it's all about you rather than others, rather than the good of the church, God's glory, the greater good, then you need to stop and rethink. When you hear yourself start thinking things like, I don't like this, this bothers me, you need to reevaluate. I'm not saying to ignore your spirit-filled conscience, but be careful you are not being self-seeking and self-serving just to appease your own felt needs, appease your own frustrations and desires, understanding that your opinion, your input is helpful It's how we grow as a church that everyone participates. But when you start thinking my way or the highway, my opinion is more important than others. I told them what we should do. Why didn't we do it? Out of 100, 120 people, I said we should do this. We didn't do it. There must be something wrong. That kind of thinking shows that you may be more focused on yourself 
putting yourself in a position where you think your opinion matters more than others' opinions, perhaps more than God, perhaps wiser than the corporate leadership of the church, whatever it may be. Again, I'm not saying don't speak up, but make sure you are doing and thinking in a way that you are selfless rather than self-seeking. Well, we've seen three of the four aspects of Paul's appeal, the brotherhood, the basis, the basics, and now he gets more particular at what I'm calling the breadth of the appeal, the breadth of the appeal. The end of verse 10, he says, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. If we are to avoid divisions, what is it that we are to pursue? Paul says, completion. Complete. Be complete. United in the ESV and NIV. Joined together in the King James. Literally, it means to put in order, to restore to a former or proper condition. And so with that definition, it's probably no surprise that uh, years ago, it was used as a surgical term for a broken bone, for setting a broken bone. It was once whole, it was once right, it broke, and you set it so that it can be proper again, complete. It was also used for fixing a ripped net for a fisherman, a broken tool, or fixing a ripped garment. It's basically taking something that is broken or separated and putting it back together again, thus making it one as it was supposed to be. And when you do that, it is once again complete. The implications for the church are clear. When there is disunity or disagreement, the church is not one. It is broken. So Paul says, do away with divisions and put the church back together the way it was meant to be complete. One whole functioning body. This involves being one in beliefs, in spiritual standards and principles of spiritual living. Well, how do we do that? Paul says, by being of the same mind and of the same judgment. The mind would include your intellect, your frame or state of mind. It includes your ability to discern right from wrong, your outlook, your stance, your attitude. Judgment, then, is the application of the principles within the mind. It is your expressed opinion and condition. It's the outcome of what's in the mind. So we are to have the same opinion on essential matters of the faith as well as the application of the truth and how, how that is lived out. If you really want to summarize it, you could say this. We are to be unified internally, which is the mind, and externally, which is judgment. You have to have both. We can't just say the same things while internally harboring disagreement. And this is very important. This unity, this uniformity is not to be forced. Okay? But I was just, uh, I just watched this little clip of, of an expert on North Korea. Oh man, it's so much worse than you guys know of. In fact, he was going on to say Kim Jong Il and Un are not the people you should know of. Right? That, that's, uh, it's, there's, there's a, the guy who brought all the problems into the country that was, you know, was put in place by the communists. 
but it, it's so much worse than we think. And I was explaining to my son this morning, I said, as a pastor, you don't want me to be like that dictator, right? Where you just force things, where people are forced to do things. And I even, I even told him, I was explaining the, the punishments and the labor camps. I said, you think that dictator ever does anything wrong? Yes. You think he punishes himself to the third generation as is required in North Korea? No. I said, well, I can't be like that. You'll get a chuckle at this. This, this whole thing, uh, was about them getting ready to church so that I'm on time as I ex- ask you guys to be on time. I said, I can't do that, right? I can't tell everyone to be on time and then I'm late. It's not like a dictatorship, right? And it goes back to how Paul started this verse. I'm coming alongside you. I am putting my arm around you. I'm exhorting you, brothers and sisters, let there be no division among you. So this isn't a forced uniformity, but this is each individual voluntarily giving up their perceived rights for the good of the whole and the glory of God. And even in that, we need to truly gauge our hearts. Because more often than not, we justify our anger, our disagreement, our dissension and division by saying, well, it's for, it's, it's for other people. It's for the good of the church. I want this to happen because I, you know, it'll help the church when really you just, you just want it. It would help you. And so we need to be careful. We need to be careful. And so this morning we've looked at the first of five components of division in the church, which is the appeal. And I broke this first point into four subpoints: the brotherhood of the appeal. Right? We need unity because we are family. The basis of the appeal, the name of Jesus Christ, which means everything that he is and what he desires us to be. The basics of the appeal. Agree and have no divisions. And finally, the breadth of the appeal. The breadth of the appeal. Be made whole or complete by being of the same mind and judgment. And I want to remind you as I close of something that I started with. Division is very dangerous, especially within the church. It's dangerous to us as a local body but it also affects the ability of the church and its members individually to properly glorify God. You guys have been through this, many of you. Through a church split, through a division, and you know that it affects your personal walk with God because participation and worshiping with a local body is in God's design a significant part of how we worship God on a daily, not just Sundays, basis. And so when that's all messed up, it affects you. And so division is so dangerous. It's not just about us individually. It is about us corporately. And if you have a beef with just one other person in this church, if you think that private conversation, that private disagreement that no one else knows about besides you two and the Lord, if you think that doesn't affect all of us, then you need to restudy the New Testament and what it teaches about the church and the body of Christ. Because if you're not doing well spiritually, 
your attitude and your fellowship will be affected when you interact with us and it will affect other people. And then you just see the snowball. People are tempted, people are, are tempted to gossip. People are tempted to wonder. People are tempted to not meditate on what is true, right, lovely, pure, all those things. It's all part of our focus on the Lord. And again, this is to be voluntary. This is to be because we desire as individuals. And that's what it is. First and foremost, although we are together, we are to encourage one another, we are to confront one another, we are to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Ultimately, your relationship with God is individual, one-on-one with God, and personal. The church is here to help. This is why in the New Testament, Paul compares, or one of the reasons, Paul compares the Christian life not to a team sport, but a marathon race. It is your race. But yes, in a marathon, there are people that run beside you, cheer you on, hand you water, help train you. But ultimately, it is your race. When you cross that finish line, they tell you your time, not a team, your time. And so it has to start there with your humility, your love for the Lord, your love for the Lord's people, and your own walk with God. And then together we will run the race. You know it's true of when you talk to, to you know, youth groups or college ministries. You know, a common thing is say when you get to judgment day, when you die and go to heaven, you cannot tell God, well, it's because my parents, well, I never went to church because my parents, or can I get in because my parents are, but the same principle applies to the church. Yeah, but I went to a good church. Yeah, but the, the, the preacher preached doesn't work that way. And so it starts with you, and then it flows out. Your relationship with God then flows out to a godly marriage, godly parenting, and then also the church. We are the body of Christ. There's no way. You would accept it. You've seen the YouTube clips of people who have this, but you wouldn't voluntarily get rid of a finger, get rid of a hand, get rid of a leg. You wouldn't voluntarily, for no reason, become handicapped so that your life, your body is no longer functioning 100% as it once was. And so that picture of the body of Christ is so appropriate. And I need you all to understand, even if you're just visiting this morning and don't intend to ever come back. You need to understand that the body of Christ is a picture that indicates that if even one finger is not healthy, if one limb, one toe is messed up, that affects the whole just as it does for you when you jam your finger or you stub a toe or need surgery on just one joint. It affects the whole. And when you take this into the idea of the local church and the unity we are to have, I need you to understand how important it is that there is no division among us, but that differences of opinion and disagreements exist 
but are dealt with in a biblical and God-honoring way. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know that we have a tendency to believe we have these rights that we can enforce upon other people. By your design, you have given us the blessing of being emotional people. But help us to keep those emotions in check and may truth, your truth, the only truth, be what guides us in this life and guides us in how we live out our church life and our spirituality. I pray that if there's any grudges, if there's any sinful disagreements or biblical disagreements but are fleshed out in an unbiblical way, I pray that you would help us to deal with those on an individual level, that we would seek your glory and the edification of your saints first and foremost before our felt needs, before our sinful desires. Help us to pursue, to think on things that are right, to guard us from anger, guard us from assumptions, guard us from always assuming the worst. I pray that we would be fully functioning, not just for our happiness, but for your glory, Lord, and that we would be a burning, bright light to the Bay Area. And pray these things in Jesus' name. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You're invited to join them for worship service in Burlingame, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit the website gracebayarea.org for directions and other information or to view a live stream of the service. As a listener-supported program, we ask that you consider making a tax-deductible donation so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Donations can be made through our website, kfax.com.